Supercoach All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley back again for another pre-season podcast and another guest making their debut on the All-Stars. This week we've got Andrew Scanlon, also better known as Cowboy, off the Points Per Minute podcast, which is a great podcast I'm sure a lot of you guys have listened to as well. Andrew, thanks for coming on, mate. It's exciting to have you. Mate, thanks so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. And um, you're looking forward to the season, I take it. Do you think the, uh, the Cowboys are going to do a bit better for you? Uh, I do. I mean, it's very hard to tell how I go this season, um, considering they've got a handful of new additions, um, especially the two changes to the spine with Holmes and, and um, drink water to the halves. But um, look, I think it might take a little while to get the chemistry going with these guys. Um, I know some experts have the Cowboys finishing around that sixth place uh, mark, give or take. Some actually have them scraping into the four, but... Even for a Cowboys fan like myself, I think that's a bit ambitious. I think they're hovering around that eighth-place finish um, with some uncertainty whether they'll play finals footy. But, um, look, exciting times with Holmes joining the pack. So, yeah, fingers crossed, eh? Uh, look, to be honest, though, I think they're... Uh I think they're not only losing forwards and backs this season, but they're also that leadership in Matt Scott. Um, I think that's a big loss as well. Yeah, I'm I'm probably on board with you. I feel about the same about them. But um, that probably gives it away, guys, because we've got Cowboy on the podcast. It means that we are going to go through the Cowboys. Um, <laughs> because why not take advantage of him being a massive Cowboys fan and um, pick his brain about what he thinks about the players for Supercoach for 2020. But after the Cowboys, we'll also be going through the Manly Seagulls as well. Um, before we get into it, though, um, we had a, I've had a few uh, listeners and other people asking about um, whether there's some type of group for the podcast that they can join and so forth. Now, um, Billy's created one for us, which is great. So we do have an NRL All-Stars group created now. You guys are welcome to jump into it. The NRL All-Stars group code is 759-223. So 759-223, you can jump on board. Billy's in there already. I'm going to jump in shortly when I join all my leagues momentarily. Um, But yeah, jump in if you want to. Heaps of fun. Aside from that, guys, we're going to get stuck straight into it because we've only got two teams, so it's a bit of a shorter one. But pretty juicy. We'll start with the Cowboys. Now, Andrew, I kind of agree with you. I'm pretty surprised that so many people have said that the Cowboys are a definite top eight team, top six. And the people that are saying top four, I I honestly can't believe people are saying top four. Um, but we'll get to that when we start talking about the players. So, yeah, let's have a look at the Cowboys uh, gains and losses first. So the new signings, obviously Valentine Holmes is a big marquee one. He's come across after his NFL dream is now over. Uh, Reese Robson from the Dragons, I think Dunn Masters is coming across as well to fill that centre spot. Um, but other than that, the losses, Matt Scott's a big one, which you touched on, Cowboy. And Scott Bolton, um, another bit of experience there going. Uh, Timurie Martin retired, which is unfortunate for him at such a young age. Nene McDonald went during last year. Javid Bowen, uh, Gideon Gellar-Mosby, Kurt Baptiste all released. Jordan Carr, who's gone back to the Broncos. And Tuala has gone to the Knights. Andrew, aside from the gains, um, one of the things that sticks out with the losses to me with the Cowboys and potentially might give us some super coach relevance to look at, um, aside from the leadership group there, 
Um, we've got two middle forwards in Bolton and Scott. But the other thing is that they seem to have put a broom through the place where they've had a whole heap of these sort of young guys that five years ago they thought were going to be fantastic first graders in the back line. And they've given them year after year. And guys like Javid Bowen, Gideon Gellin-Mosby, and also Inari Tuala just haven't really produced. And it looks like they've just put a broom through and just said, no, we're going to have to start again and just, just let those young outside backs go. Mate, as a Cowboys fan, it's actually refreshing to see. As much as it really pains me to see these young guys just getting brushed aside. Um, I mean, look, all for good reason, to be honest. But um, the Cowboys, as a team, needed some strength in their backs, which is what they've done. And um, I kind of like the back line this year. I, I think we got um, Holmes at fullback. I don't know about that other wing spot, though. We've either got um, Tulagi or um, Hampton. I'm not sure which one's actually going to get that final wing spot. But Apacic, Masters, and Felt should make up the rest of it. Um, but, I, you know, that's really what they needed, though. Um, their backs have been, let's be honest, pretty horrible over the, the past couple of years. And um, defense has been killing them. So I hope these guys can actually step up and... Um, and uh, do something well, but Reese Robson's an interesting one. I'm not sure he'll make the um, the starting side. He may get a stint on the bench, but um, I really hope to see them use him a little bit more later in the season. Yeah, I, I would be really excited if I was a Cowboys fan about him. I think he's going to be significantly better than what Granville is. Granville is one of those guys to me. You know, I mentioned it with guys like Orbo and stuff as well, where you know they're only just getting to 30 years old. I think Granville's 29, but in rugby league years, he seems like he's about 45. Like, he's just one of those guys yeah, that's still been around for so long and also a guy that's, um, that is now looking like he's on the downward spiral, like he's really slowed up the last few years, and I thought his service from dummy half hasn't been that good either, so it's probably good to be looking at replacing him. Yeah, 100%. I think they're, they're, the moves they made... Uh, from 2019 to 2020 have been really good. And I think, um, Granville better watch himself over the next year or two because I totally agree with you, mate. It's, um, he's on a downward spiral and, um, you know, being part of the spine, you really need to pick your game up. So this draw for the Cowboys is important before we get into the player discussion. The Cowboys are going to play round 12. So that's important. They are going to play that first by round, uh, which is good. As far as their actual draw matchups for the first couple of months of the season, they've obviously got the, Broncos blockbuster to start off the year. Uh, it's renowned how many of those go to golden points, so that's not going to be a fantastic one, probably. Yeah, it, it, it's true. I mean, look, to be honest, when, when Thurston was around, I thought there were more golden point games, and I think now that he's kind of out of the picture, um, I'm not sure. that There seems to be a bit more uh, variety, I guess, in the in the Broncos versus Cowboys games, but unfortunately the Broncos have had the upper hand on us, so... Um, I hope it steps up this year anyway and the, the Cowboys can come away with the goods. Especially, it would be such a big downer if, um, because the Broncos Cowboys play twice yep. in the first five rounds, um, that, you know, if Brisbane beat us both times, that's a, that's a massive, um, <laughs> <laughs> hit to the emotional feels, isn't it, really? So, yeah. But look, you know, as you said, like the, the draw is really interesting. Round 12 of availability, um, They've got a mixed bag, don't they, up until round 12? They've got, you know, a couple of um, Broncos game. They've got Melbourne. They've got Sydney. They've got Cronulla as well. And they've got the Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge uh, fan. Of, I mean, round two, they've got the Dogs at ANZ Stadium. So it's a way one, but it is against the Dogs. So that's not too bad. But then they move on to the Eels, but they are at home. So not too bad. The Knights are away at Newcastle, which is a pretty long trek. Um, and then they've got the Broncos again. Mm. Round five at Suncorp, um, and then they got the Storm round six, and rounding out the last two, they got the Eels again, and then they've got 
don't know, then they've got the Roosters in round eight. So a couple of things that stick out for me, I mean, they play the Roosters and the Storm, um, two teams that you probably don't want to be playing for super coach purposes uh, in the first eight weeks. Mm. And they play the Eels twice and Brisbane tr- twice. So it is a bit of a mixed bag, like you said. It's a bit of a peculiar draw as well because uh, four of the games are against the same two teams out of the, the first eight rounds. Exactly, yeah. And it's never a good thing when um, your easier opponents are, are mostly away games. So uh, it's it's going to be a very difficult um, start of the season for Cowboys players. And to be honest, like, I mean, as we'll talk about when we go through the players, I I don't know, I just can't see the Cowboys being a very super coach relevant team through the opening stage of the season. To be honest with you, I've got one one Cowboy in my team to start season with, and there's no prizes if you guess who that is. And <laughs> Done now, because I've got zero Cowboys in my team right now. Um, <laughs> I don't blame you. Don't I'm worry. glad we're on the same page because um, I, I'm not I'm not rating much at all. But the first guy we're going to talk about is the is under our gun category, and that is Tom Alolo. Um, I'm guessing that's the guy that you got in your top in your side, mate. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. Like being the main super coach force of the Cowboys, um, he comes with that reliability and very high base and base attack. For me, he's a set and forget with that round twelve availability. And look, you know, if Payne Haas wasn't in your side, then I mean, you could consider him most weeks as a semi safety captain option. But Haas is clearly superior um, with his higher floor and producing higher scores more often. But I mean, look, you know, you can't sneeze at Lolo's stats, averaging 70 for the past three seasons, includes that 75 and 78 points per game in 2017, 2019. But I don't know, his role won't, uh, it doesn't seem like his role is going to change significantly either this season. He'll, he'll probably still play around that, what, 60 to 65 minutes per game. Um, and yeah, his role, uh, I'm just, I don't know, it just seems like a black and white decision to me. And that round, round 12 availability really um, encouraged me to get him. I'm just going to leave him in there, and he'll be in my team from yeah, start to finish. Yeah, that's very cool. I mean, for me, there was a, a couple of considerations when looking at the numbers. So, I mean, first of all, he comes in at 723K, and just sort of the tail of the tape, 723K off a 78 average season in 2019. That was actually his career year. He's played yep. similar minutes the last three years. He's gone 63 minutes, 64 minutes, and 64 minutes the last three years in a row. But his averages have gone 78, 70, 75. And those are his three best seasons that he's played in his career as well for super coach purposes. So he's a full 8%, uh, I'm sorry, he's a full 8 points, which is around 12% additional value in 2019. Um, and one of the things that stood out for me, just a couple of other numbers, and then I'll get your take on it, but. In 2015, 16, 17, and 18, the first 10 rounds were less than his middle third and his final third. Um, so last year he bucked that trend a little bit, but he got injured early as well. I mean, the concern mm-hmm. for me is um, he's priced at his peak. He's, he's maybe not going to replicate the 78 points a game, although he might come close to it. And aside from last year, he's got a full career saying that he doesn't actually start out well. But... Obviously, the opposite side of that, Andrew, is that um, if you take out his injury from last season, he actually averaged um, 97 points up the first up to round 12, basically, and that was only six games, but it's still a decent sample size. So he went, he bucked the trend completely last year and started on fire and just went ballistic until the buy and origin period. So it, it's more, yeah. I guess, for me, I'm struggling with: am I going to get that that Tomalolo? Or is it really the guy that was, you know, the last four or five years before that, he was actually starting really slow? 
Oh, exactly right. And you really can't argue with um, such consistent stats either. I mean, every single year besides one year, i.e. last year, he started slow. Um, I'm, I'm taking the punt that he's just basically broken that trend and he's um, he's going to start from the get-go and, um, and power through all the way to the buy period. It may sound a little naive to rely on that look you know why not i I just one guy that i one guy in one position that i can not think about for the whole season and i may be paying slight overs for him um but i don't think it'd be too significant in the long run to be honest so um i'm happy to take the punt but as you said i mean you can't argue with with stats in history really can you it's just it's the proof yeah i mean the, the the thing about buying him that um i do agree with you on is what he has over around Mumbai compared to some of the other guns. So someone like, I know it's a different position, but someone like Tedesco, for instance, who's who's up there in price in the 700s as well. Starting with Tedesco, he is a set and forget that you're going to keep all year. Um, but he's going to play Origin. So you know that Origin period, you may have to do a sell and then buy back later um, and waste a couple of trades. One of the good things about Tom Malolo is that you never have to do that. So... He's almost got extra value through the, the non, no need to trade him all year. And then a lot of people will say set and forget for a Tedesco or Travojevic or Cook and all these guys. But the reality is a lot of smart super coaches will actually trade some of those guys during the origin period because you're not going to get the games out of them. They're, they're going to miss a couple of games and then they might get rested for one or two. And someone like Cook average, I think, 56 or something over the origin period. So all things you don't need to worry about um, with Tom Malolo. So I guess those are the positives. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a. It seems like a small positive, doesn't it? You're just saving uh, one, maybe two trades uh, if you do start with him at the start of the season. But um, peace of mind. It's it's one of those things that I love in Supercoach. If you've got that little aspect of peace of mind somewhere in the season, um, any little bit helps, I reckon. And you don't have to worry about this one position. Um, it's small, but you know, I'll take it any day of the so week. So, have you gone Haas as well? Have you have you spent big on both those spots, or you you bypassing Haas? To be honest, um, and I say this all the time, I do the same thing every single year. I'll put the roughest of roughest teams together um, early. I, I'm the kind of person that'll spend, gosh, up to eight hours a day between TLT and um, and the first kickoff Thursday night, just trying to smash out my team because I hate putting together a team so early in the season when there's still you know so much guesswork before TLT. Um, but for now, I've got a decent team together, I think, and I've got both Haas and Tamalola with my team. I've skimped in the um, centre wings, starting out with Pup and Hughes and Ponger in the in the fullback position. But yeah, got a couple of cheap options in the halves. Um, but I do have both Haas and Tamalola, which kind of contradicts what I said earlier. Like if you don't have Haas, you can kind of pick Tamalolo as a semi-safe option, but I kind of like all that base input right at the start of the season. But, you know, it does cost a little bit, but, yeah, it's a tactic I'm willing yeah, to run with. No, I think there's nothing wrong with buying him for round one at all. I guess the biggest drawback for me is that it's hard to have Haas and Tamalolo both in your side, and that's why I was wondering what you had done. Uh, because, obviously, you need the two-gun fullbacks. You probably want one of the gun hookers. I'm, I'm really not a fan of the two-cheap hooker strategy. And you're going to want at least at no, least one gun half. So it then becomes really hard to spend 1.5 million on Huss and Lolo. And I just I favour Huss, um, and that's why I don't have Tom Lolo. Only because Huss is in the front row forward spot, and there is just yeah, it's just barren, which I've spoken about many times. And the positional scarcity plays into it. 100%, yeah, I totally agree, mate. And uh, look, if I had to choose one or the other, it'd be Haas, you know, 
Pretty numerous factors, to be honest, yeah. Uh, I mean, you couldn't run with, say, uh, a Teddy-Turbo combo at fullback either if you mm. chose both Tom Lolo and Haas. It's just so much money injected into four players. Um, I haven't gone the... Like, I've gone the gun and cheapy for the hookers as well, so... But, yeah, I skimmed a little bit in the centre wings and skimmed a little bit in the halves as well, so... But, well, I'm sure, like most people's teams, that'll change come TLT. I'll probably rip it apart and it'll look nothing like it is now. Yeah, one thing that TLT might do to allow Tomalolo and Hearts is if we somehow get an influx of uh, Ford cheapies, which we haven't really had that much of in the past for round one, and some Ford mid-ranges as well, one of which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, that'll that'll mm-hmm. make it a bit easier. So I, I don't see Tom Lolo on paper. I think that Tom Lolo is a great buy for round one. I agree with you. He's not going to lose much money anyway, um, even though he, he might not average 78. Um, he's going to play that first draw. Save your trade. I, I, it's just a, the, the broader picture of whether that means you're not going to have hearts. I think that I would leave Lolo myself. But that's just me. We should move on because even though Tom Lolo is fantastic, we've got some other guys to talk about and the other superstar is under my risk category I've put him, and a lot of people, this is going to be hugely controversial, Andrew, because I've seen a lot mm-hmm. of people talking up Valentine Holmes, and I'm, I'm going to say outright, I'm going to give you my take on it, and then I'm really interested to hear yours. I'm not a Valentine Holmes hater, despite what some people will say online. I, I, <laughs> I completely understand how good he was before he left. But there's some really, really important things that people need to remember. And this happens all the time, right? There's, there's guys that go ballistic and that's all that people remember. They, and it's, it's the same with everything in life. You only remember the good things once history sort of starts to take place and it's a while ago. Holmes comes in at 564k. He's not cheap. He's at fullback, which automatically cancels him out straight away for me because I think he's going to be at the moment for round one. I'd probably rank him as maybe the seventh best fullback option. So I can't see how anyone can put him in, especially when someone like Pappenhausen is, you know, 60k less than him. But when you're looking at the numbers, Andrew, and this is the thing that I was pulling out with a few people that disagreed with me. And you know, look, it's fine if you prefer Valentine Holmes. I hope he works out. Maybe he'll go ballistic, but. Even if you look at the numbers, okay, he, he went fantastic in his last season, but that was basically a three-month period. For the season, he averaged about 67 points. It was for about three months, so, and his whole career before that, he has never done anything near that. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, but he was playing wing a lot of the time. You know what? In 2017, he played 21 games that season, and 19 of his 21 games were playing fullback, and he averaged 51 points. So he, he was nowhere near a gun, and he barely actually averaged 50s. And just, so despite his great 2018, there's actually a bigger sample size before that of a full year playing fullback where he actually did really poorly. I'm a big believer that a lot of players can have a really good three-month window, so I need to see a lot more than that to say that that's him. And that would be huge regardless of other circumstances. But this guy's got a, a mountain of other circumstances. He's now got a new club that he's coming into, he hasn't played rugby league for 18 months. That is massive. We all saw what happened to someone like Jared Hayne, um, who came back and was just nowhere near the same player, different body shape, different training. That is a massive deal. I'm not riding off Holmes. Maybe he will come good, and maybe he'll be just as good as what he was. But, geez, there is massive risk to expect that for round one for me. Mate, you hit the nail on the head, honestly. Like, my main issue... Oh, look, I'm not going to repeat all the past... Uh, previous season stats that you mentioned. Um, but look, my main issue with Holmes is simple. Why take the risk on a player who is available in the fullback position only 
when there are superior and more importantly reliable options in your Parvin Husens, your Pongers, your Teddies, your Turbos. I, I know some of those are a bit more expensive, um, but I think all four of these players, despite the higher price tags, are better options than home RTS because. And of course, RTS, yeah. Um, and especially when looking at your starting side, um, the chemistry factor is a big one for me. Um, so first year in a new club, um, even if we found out that Holmes is the first choice goal kicker over Felt and Masters, um, I would still consider him as a player to monitor rather than taking the punt on your starting team. One thing that annoys me at the moment is... Um, People using the Jared Hayne comparison, um, not <laughs> what you just said. Like I've, I actually like as far as the body shape goes, 100% spot on. Um, but as in looking how poorly Hayne did after he came back from the NFL, so let's expect the same from Holmes. Like we're talking about two vastly different players here, um, not just from a skill point of view, but also mentally, which is a significant mm-hmm. factor. Um, I guess the big positive with Holmes is what he did before he went to the NFL, as you mentioned earlier. We all remember that 2018 season where he was switching between fullback and wing for the first half, and then when he played fullback for the final 10 rounds or so, he produced um, two scores in the 60s, and the rest were anywhere between 70 and 100 uh, with two scores over 100, which was... A freak performance, but we need to remember that he was playing in a team that he gelled with for a while. Um, for me, he he's someone that we shouldn't start with. I don't even think he's an option, but we need to monitor him closely because he's a player that he's proven before he's able to make us enough cash to warrant a trade, um, even when starting at 560-odd K. But, yeah, as far as being in our starting teams, he's not he's not a viable option for, for many reasons. No, I don't think he is at all. I actually think he's a ma- not just a massive risk. I think he's a massive mistake. Anybody doing it is going to be behind the eight ball. Um, and I'm, I, I, I rarely, I rarely deal in absolutes and I say that many times. Um, and sometimes I have conversations with, with people in the various groups and whatever. And, you know, they, they talk about some guy I spoke about. It's like, Oh, I thought you really liked him. I said, yeah, but you know, I also said the things that could happen that, that might go bad. You have to weigh up, you know, I, I generally try and give all the good points about a player and, and the bad ones that are there. And then you have to try and guess what way it's going to go. I rarely deal in absolutes. For me, though, this is one of the exceptions where Holmes is an absolute for me. He's a mistake, and nobody should be going anywhere near him. His price tag as well um, is high, but you, you, I just you're going to be behind the eight ball. Like if you don't have Pappenhausen, you're behind the eight ball. Um, if you're choosing Holmes over all these other guys that you mentioned, that five, those five other fullbacks, you're behind the eight ball, and you're going to be. So kicking was something that you mentioned too. Um, I don't. A lot of people seem to think that he's got it in the bag. This bloke hasn't even played rugby league for one and a half years. Like, I, I, no, I don't know how people think he's <laughs> going to walk in and start slotting goals. He was never a great goal kicker as it was. He was Cronulla's third choice goal kicker, and he kicked out of necessity. He wasn't phenomenal, and he's he's in a new club where you know if if you want to talk to a coach about how to heat pressure on a new player, it's to, you know give him the captaincy, make him run the plays, <laughs> and make him a goal kicker. You know, like, it's just... Exactly right, yeah. Look, look I'll, be, I'll be honest, if Felt's not the goal kicker, I'd be quite surprised. Um, I mean, Masters' kicking form, you know, came down a little bit. As you said, Holmes is, you know, first year back. Um, and also Clifford, yeah, probably won't even make the side. So um, I'm pretty pretty confident Felt would be the Cowboys' goal kicker this year. Yeah, I actually think that he will be as well. I think that we both agree, don't, don't go near Holmes um, for round one, certainly monitoring. The other thing too is that that, that round 12 um, by round, it's probably going to be irrelevant for Holmes too because the Queensland um, back line is, is pretty shot. Um, they've got a lot of older guys that they're moving out and stuff. 
He'll find his way into that Queensland side, and you, you won't even be there for the round 12 buy. So you don't even have that. Exactly. Yeah, the positives are minimum. There's, there's, there's literally no reason to pick him for round one, well, in my opinion anyway, and yours, obviously. So, yeah. <laughs> Let's move on from Holmes. Um, yeah. Big Balls Pod. So I've actually got the new recruit Masters there. Um, now, I'm a, I was someone who really liked Masters coming through the Tigers, and I liked him as a back row. I watched a lot of his lower grade stuff, and he was outstanding. Um, and then he obviously got moved to the centres. I did not like him in the centres. Um, he developed his game really well, and then he looked really good. And then I loved him because he had this phenomenal combination of base attack where he would get a, a heap of offloads, a heap of tackle breaks, and he was just really enthusiastic with his, his work. Um, and then he got goal-kicking as well. So then it, it was a match made in heaven. But um, a few things happened to Paul Isan Masters last year. Uh, through 1 to 10, uh, that's the first 10 rounds of the season, I should say, he averaged 63 points, which was solid. He still could have been a lot better, um, but it was solid. Um, and then he absolutely just fell off a cliff. He, After that first 10 rounds, it basically looked like he wasn't interested. And the middle half of the season, between uh, round 11 and 18, he averaged 47 points. And then the round 19 and 26, to finish off, it was 42 points. I'm going to say that he completely checked out last year. He did not want to be at the Tigers anymore. Um, that's happened with a few players, and he just... Didn't go well. So he ended up with an average of 52 points a game last year overall, despite that 63 average for the first 10 rounds. In 2018, he was 61 points. Um, I guess my question for you, Andrew, is do you think that it was his disinterest in the Tigers and the fact that he wanted out and he was going to leave that made his workload and his base attack drop off a cliff and all that sort of stuff? And he's going to come into the Cowboys rejuvenated in a spot that he wants to be and everything, and we're just going to see the... You know, 61 point a game at Sun Masters from 2018, or do you think that he's just going to produce what he was doing last year? Oh, that's a really difficult one. Look, I mean, the feeling and the vibe that I got last year from Masters when he dropped um, those stats, I actually did think he just seemed disinterested. I remember sitting there watching one of the games and turning to my mate and just saying, does he just not give a crap anymore? Honestly, he's just not interested. He doesn't want to be there. And, I mean, this this um, club change could be a blessing. But, um, look, at the end of the day, I simply can't see Masters as a viable option to start the season. I mean, his performance at the back end of last season was terrible, obviously, for someone with his price tag. He's unlikely to get the kicking duties as well. I mean, I know some people are still throwing out Masters as a um, likely option, but, uh, I mean, as we discussed before, I, I can't see anyone else doing it by felt. Um, and forking out 483k for a player that's well, you know, just produce scores in the 20s, 30s and 40s for most of the back end of last season would be pretty silly. Um, there is that new club factor that um, really could go either way, but there's there's zero reason for us to take the risk on Masters in our starting size. You're essentially taking the risk that he'll return to his best form due to finding a new club um, straight off the bat. And, I mean, he... He produced the goods in the first half of 2019, but can we really count on that in our starting team? Throwing a centre wing in our side that costs upwards of 500k um, causes us to skimp in other positions too. So I'll be steering clearer masters for for the starting team, that's for sure. Yeah, I um, I'm I'm looking at him purely as a big balls pod. So if someone wants to go full pod, um, and I do like to look at you know alternative ways of looking at someone. Um, one of the things mm. with masters is. He's in a really niche price bracket, and that's where I could see someone considering him because there there is a lot of guys in Centrelink that are expensive that are 500k plus that, that 500 to 600k range. But that 
sort of 400 to 500 range. Anyone in the 400s, there, there isn't really much there at all. It's basically like Jared mm. Croker and Masters. So if you've got money left over and you want, you know, a strike center wing, um, I could see Masters, he's definitely going to be a pod. But, you know, I, I could see someone considering him. And I kind of understand why if you just, if you think that you've been pretty safe with your team and you want to take a punt. But I reckon that the thing that would have to happen for me to look at him would be the goal kicking. If he was goal kicking, I'd actually consider him at 483k, but I'd need that goal kicking there to think about it because he's going to play the round 12 buy as well, which I kind of like. So yeah, there, there is a couple yeah. of little positives there, uh, but as well as that, they've got a tough draw. So I mean, if he drops, like I'm actually looking at him myself for my team as a prime candidate to get in around sort of round eight because he's going to come off the, the storm and the roosters, uh, probably have a couple of bad games and then a couple of price drops and then I'll monitor that. And we might be able to get a, a Masters at around 400k when we got a bit more cash. Set ourselves up for a bit of a Cowboys run leading into that first buy and have him for that buy round. And, you know, look, he, he, if he's playing well and I think that he's capable, you could even leave him there and he could be sort of your fifth, sixth rotation centre wing as well. So I, I think that there is going to be some options for Masters to come into your side. But for round one, like you said, it's probably a bit too much risk. Yeah, and I mean, you're spot on too. That's exactly how we should be treating Masters is, um, you know, he's proven himself to be a great center wing. If the Cowboys did have that easier draw or any of the goal kicking duties, he'd be a great, um, option just to take the punt on. Um, and yeah, like a little bit closer to the buy period, that's probably the perfect time just to, um, take a look at him. But with players like Masters, we just, we really need to make sure that we've got him on our on our watch list. We just really need to monitor their progress so we don't miss out um, when he does come good, if he does come good. Base base attack is what you're looking at, guys. So his, his base went down only 27 for last year. It should be higher than that. It should be in the 30s. One of the things to look out for mm. Masters is if you see him starting to offload and tackle break, which will happen if he's on his game, then that's the time to really put him on your list to, to get traded in because he's... His base base attack will give him a, 40, a mid forties type of floor, um, which is phenomenal for a centre wing, and it's why he got his value in 2018. But we will move on. Um, the next guy's um, a mid range cow option. He's a really frustrating one for me, Andrew. But as a Cowboys fan, for you, you must just pull your hair out. So I'm going to go through the, yeah. the Cohen Hess numbers, and then I'm going to just let you go off at him. But Cohen <laughs> Cohen Hess should have been, you know, the great the great hope for the Queensland Origin forward pack a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, he did he did come into 2017 playing pretty well. He was only playing um, 58 minutes a game in 2017, and he averaged 58 points for that. He got extra minutes in a starting gig in 2018 to put him up to 73 minutes, which is 15 minutes more than he was playing the year before, but he put up the exact same 58-point average. And it was very clear watching him that obviously the tries dried up a little bit, which was always going to, but his impact and work seemed to really suffer. And as a result, in 2019, um, he only averaged 61 minutes a game and a really low 38 points because he was benched for a lot of it. So a few numbers on him, mate. He's 20 points below his average in 2018 and 2017. That is humongous. Like it's, it, He's got almost a 50% drop in his points. And that's despite the fact that in 2017, when he was scoring 50% more points, he was actually playing yeah. <laughs> three more minutes than what he did last year. So his PPM, just, uh. his PPM just went through the floor. But one of the things that makes me look at him is he, he is only 354K. Um, so he is very, very cheap. 
He has to get that starting edge spot first. If he gets that starting edge spot, you know, he had a 50 average in his 70 plus minute games last year, which, you know, he had a reasonable amount, about a third of his games or something like that, close to it. He was, he was starting on an edge. Um, he had a 50 average. Now, 50 average might sound shit, and it is, but he's only priced at 38. So there's a lot of value mm-hmm. there. So I can see the value if he starts. I guess for you, Andrew, why don't you tell us what the hell happened to the myth of Cohen Hess? And secondly, uh, where oh. you see him fitting into the cows this year? I mean, how frustrating can one guy be, honestly? Uh, I just don't, <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, that, that was a great season he had, uh, first up. And then what happened last year? I mean, who can, who can explain that really? Honestly, that was just the biggest shock. And I don't know, I just couldn't get my head around it. But I mean, look, as, as you said, he needs that starting position. And at the moment, what well, we think Shane Wright's got that edge spot, um, covered. But, um, I guess, the big question with Cohen Hess is how many minutes he's going to be getting um, this season. Um, where is he going to play? As you said, he's more than likely to play from the bench, but um, there's also that unlikely scenario where he'll play in the second row over Shane Wright. It's really a question that only Teamless Tuesday will answer, but unfortunately, um, yeah, I don't know. Can you actually even... Can you even consider Hess as a viable option at any stage until he really proves him? Prees himself um, as a player all over again. He's, he's had a whole season where he's just disappointed. Or well, obviously not only Cowboys fans, but Supercoach fans. That's a massive drop. That's a massive change as well. So unless he gets that edge spot, mate, I think he's Supercoach irrelevant. Unless he pulls his finger yeah, out. Yeah, he's got to get that edge spot. I mean, one thing I, I thought Shane Wright was a solid footballer, um, and I thought it was more a kick up the ass to Hess that Shane Wright started mm. a few last year, and then I thought it was out of necessity just because. Hess ended up playing four games at centre wing. By the way, don't get me started about Supercoach because Hess played more centre wing games than three other forwards yeah. that have got dual status. But that's... Makes zero sense. But anyway, no sense. Cool. And that's where he would have been really relevant too because, um, you know, even at 350k, a Cohen Hess playing 50 or 60 minutes in your centre wing and one that plays the first bye, that, that would have become a bit more relevant. But anyway, it's, it didn't happen. Oh, <laughs> it is what it is. But, I mean, look, it's just... Yeah, actually, I don't want to talk about that anymore. Let's just move on. It's just frustrating, honestly. It is so frustrating. Like, you know, it's a great game, but consistently inconsistent. It is what it is. Let's go. Yeah. Sangster and Dave Campbell get a heap of shit put on them, and they do a great job, and it's not really up to them. So I don't want, I don't want to pour hey, any more on exactly them. Exactly so. right. They're not the ones to cop it, that's for sure. <laughs> so I'm coming this. I mean, for me, Shane Wright, was pretty meat potatoes, and I didn't really see that much upside to him. To me, they're on talent and ceiling. Cohen Hess should be above him, so I've still got some hope that Cohen Hess wins out that um, that spot. And I do think that Shane Wright is a guy that can slot into thirteen. One of the things that has happened to the Cowboys is that their front row forward spots have been decimated. So at the moment, um, you know there is there is some teams that have Cohen Hess in their twelve jumper. Uh, as predicted, and mm-hmm. then the bench forwards are only Asiata, um, Shane Wright, and either Mitchell Dunn or Molo. Um, so pretty much like one legit prop in the rotation. And, uh, you know, McLean and Maguire are going to need spells, so you're only going to have a three-forward bench anyway because Reese Robson's definitely going to be there. I guess the question is, I mean, if, if Hess is named to start at 12, even if Wright's on the bench, do you still see Hess as getting an 80-minute role because... The Cowboys there just seem to always be, and then Shane Wright becomes sort of a Jason Tomalolo replacement at 13. 
it's not out of the question, to be honest. I can actually see that happening, kind of um, trying trying to get him back to his 2018 form. And, I mean, he was a solid 80-minute player. Um, we can't rule it out, that's for sure. And, I mean, look, if he's if he's starting, then he needs to be considered. I, I'd probably throw him in straight up if he's starting. Um, and, you know, if he wasn't playing 80 minutes, he wouldn't be playing that much less. That that bench rotation, that's oh, it's just going to be up in the air, isn't it? I mean, with so many changes in the forwards, so many options that could be on the bench. I don't know. We really need more info, don't we? We've got Robson, we've got Asiata, Hess, Corey Jensen, um, Molo. <laughs> I mean, who else is there, really? So until, we, until Team List Tuesday comes up, I mean, we can't really make a decision on any of these guys, can we? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think that we both agree. If Hess is starting on an edge, he's he's definitely an option. I'm actually going to say I, I'm probably going to take the punt. Um, I'm I'm just I'm a real sucker for those guys that have showed real talent and are still very young. Um, and I think Hess showed a lot of talent for two years and a lot of attacking ability on an edge. So the fact that he plays that mm. first buy and he's only three hundred fifty k, there's not going to be a lot of guys in second row forward that are going to be in the 300s to put in there. So if Hess starts, I think I'm going to definitely consider it. Yeah, spot on, mate. Yeah, I'll, I'll be joining you, that's for sure. <laughs> you can have two Cowboys in here, <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's just unheard of for me. Gosh. <laughs> I mean, since the Tamalolo slash Thurston days, um, yeah, I haven't had two, more than one Cowboy on my team at any time. Well, I reckon that he's a good shot. I think that he's uh, he's got more chance than what people are giving him credit for, being able to win that over Shane Wright. Um the next guy that's a mid-range cow is more like a cheapie, really, is Hampton. Now, he's he's a bit of an interesting one in that I don't really know um, what's going to happen with this guy. Um, he did he only played um, eight games last year for his 26 average, so that was 11 points below his 2018 average of, of 37 when he was playing 54 minutes a game, so 16 minutes less but 11 more points. But it's also a little bit on the fact that he had one of his eight games was a, a two-point performance in three minutes where he got injured. So if you, you know, <laughs> that, that impacted his average quite a bit, um, which means that there's, there is some value there because he is only uh, a cheap option in your centre wing at 237k, and he's actually a dual centre wing um, fullback as well. So a bit of interest in him. I've seen him pop up in a few teams, I think, just because he's so cheap at 237k, and if guys don't want to... Yeah, do the whole, I'm going to put in like five rookie placeholders for TLT and then have to tear it apart later because they're going to be a bit more realistic. Um, I think that they've put uh, a Ben Hampton in, in there. Um, he's obviously got to win a spot first. I've seen everywhere from centre to wing to bench utility to left right out as far as predicting where he's going to fit yeah. in the team. Um, he's, he's obviously not going to set the world on fire. He's never going to, but... He, the last time he played 80 minutes a game was in 2015, and he averaged 45 points. Now, there's a big difference between 26 points and 45 points, and 45 points is a very low bar to set. So, I mean, he could very easily hit 45 points if he was starting and playing 80 minutes, and that's a lot of money that he could make for you. So I definitely see the interest. I just am not sure where he's going to fit in, and I'm hoping that maybe you've got a better idea. To be honest, I, I can't see him making the 17. Um, I mean... Um, look, yeah, as you said, he's, he could be playing in numerous positions. My understanding is he needs to win that, um, winger spot over, um, Tulagi. I mean, there's a small chance he could be coming off the bench, but if he doesn't, yeah, if he doesn't win that wing spot, I don't think there's room for him, to be honest, mate. Um, let's just say hypothetically he does start on the wing. Um, he's, look, 
I don't know. There's there's definitely um, reason for interest with with Hampton. He's so inconsistent, um, but he is so cheap. So is he cheap enough though to throw him on your you know starting center wings or even put him on the bench as a slow burner? I don't I don't think so. To be honest, especially with the limit limited attacking potential the Cowboys have in that opening period of the season, um, I still wouldn't throw him into my team um, at 237k. Will he win a spot? I I don't think so. I can't see him playing at the start of this season, to be honest. Uh, I think that'll give Tulagi a bit of a punt. So. Yeah, if he's not playing, he's obviously going to be irrelevant. But um, if he is, I think a scenario where I would consider him is um, if we have a TLT where there is, uh, you know, one one rookie-priced centre wing name, and it is very possible looking at the teams, and we might only get one, one rookie-priced yeah. centre wing name. I'm going to rather put in a Ben Hampton than you know, spend the 350k sort of thing. And look, there's probably three or four really good mid-range options that are around that 350k mark. But I tell you what, after you go through those three guys, and mind you, that's 120k more than what Ben Hampton is, but after you go through Mm -hmm. those guys, there is such a black hole of no talent between 350k and 500. It's amazing in center wing. Like, there's just nothing there. Yeah, I noticed that actually. Yeah, yeah, it, it was amazing. I don't think we've ever seen anything like that before. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like I, I'm with you too. He, he's definitely one to consider if he starts. I mean, he's cheap enough, isn't he? Yeah, um, I don't think. So, you're, I mean, you're yeah. never going to do it for points. It's just going to be about the fact that he's cheap and he can make money. And I think the worst, like as long as he keeps his starting spot, the worst case scenario is that he's a slow burn, which actually almost works out strategically because. A lot of the time you want a lot of, you know, fast burn cows because you can cash them out quickly and make upgrades, but it does mm. benefit sometimes just to have one guy that you can sit there that you know is playing the first buy because there's guys that you're going to have that do play the first buy, but six weeks beforehand they peak in price and you end up having to sell them and not having that number, which is the right move. But having a Hampton, you know, you're going to make your money and he's also going to be there and probably peak in price right around the buy. So, that can work, um, but again, I'll stress, uh, he's not, he's dirt for points, he's dirt for super coach. It's just a matter of if there isn't any cheapies or, or limited cheapies named and you don't want to spend any center wing, someone like Ben Hampton then becomes an option if he's named to start. 100%. And, and, and even those players like, um, Hampton and even possibly T-Rex this season, like, you know, you could throw them there. They're available for round 12. They can just chill there for a while, slow burn, and then offload them after round 12. So definitely on the card. Now, other mid cows, one of the Cowboys forwards, and that is Molo. So Francis Molo, um, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't understand why he's appearing in so many teams initially. And then I sort of realized that he's a front row forward guy. And there is nothing in front row forward to plug in aside from maybe Musgrove at the Tigers if you want to put in someone cheaper. So he's 299k, so he's not super cheap, but there isn't much to do in the front row forward spot if you're not going to spend. He only played 24 minutes a game last year. Um, his average score was 32, so his PPM was very good. His prior years, his PPM wasn't as good as that, though, so you're probably somewhere in between. He's probably more like a 0.9 to, to a 1.1 type of range PPM. Um, I guess the thought process is that he's going to get more minutes um, with both Scott and Bolton gone and the middle minutes that are going to be available and maybe the only genuine prop on the bench. But Maguire is somebody that can play quite a few minutes. So he he, mm. he doesn't need much of a spell as a prop either. So, I mean, how many minutes do you really see Francis Molo being able to increase from his 32? And do you think that's ever going to be worth paying 300k for him? 
don't think it would be worth it, to be honest. I, I reckon a lot of people are actually banking on the fact that Paul Green came out and had some really great things to say about Molo, um, that he developed well at the end of the back, se- uh, back end of the season last year, um, which, you know, may in turn result in, in an increase in minutes, um, stealing a few minutes off some of the other players. But as you said, he's awkwardly priced at 300k because he's either going to come off the bench for his usual, what, 30, maybe 35 minutes, give or take. Um, or if we go with the great man, Andy Jacko, um, says in his team prediction that he isn't going to make, um, make the team at all. Um, look, I can't see Molo not making the 17, to be honest, especially after what Greeny said. But um, if he does, he's too expensive to have um, as an NPR, obviously. Um, but he's not going to provide the output needed to make our 17. The only positive with Molo is that he played um, increased minutes at the back end of last season. So if that trend continues, so the combination of Greeny saying he's, you know, very happy with his progress, plus that indication of the back end of last season with his increased minutes, then he'll make us a little coin. That's pretty much all I can, the only benefit I can see with Molo. But you watch, you watch. I don't think Molo is actually going to um, be in too many people's teams come kickoff in round one, to be honest. Yeah, right? I think a lot of people are going to have to redo their plans. I don't, I don't think he's really an option at 300k. And one of the things that are known by a lot of veteran super coaches is super coach poison is a is a bench prop forward. Um, that, that's going to yeah. be a small minute bench uh-huh. prop forward. That's just, it's not even a slow burn. Sometimes you end up selling for a 30 or 40k um, profit and it's just, it's not worth the trade. You've actually just lost money on your trade by doing that. So. Mate, I'm guilty of doing that years ago. Never, I'll never revisit that. I've so. oh, done it a couple of times, don't worry. If you haven't made a mistake properly until you've done it three or four times, mate. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Let's move on to the final couple of Cowboys that we're just going to mention real briefly, um, and that's the halves because both of them deserve to be mentioned. Morgan comes in at 472k. Um, now, he's also part, probably going to be part, partnered with Drinkwater, who's 361k, and I've seen a couple of people looking at Drinkwater too. With both these guys, um, I, I'm going to say I've never been a Michael Morgan fan in real life or in Supercoach, um, and it's mainly down to the fact that I think that it gets overlooked um, how how poor he can be as the number one option running a team. Um, I think that when he's looked good, it's been because he's had a Jonathan Thurston there, um, and he works well with that, but when he's just running your mm. team as the only half, really, or the only playmaker in that spine, it, it really sticks out to me that I, I just don't think that he's fantastic at it. Um, and for a super coach player, you know, some, especially some Cowboys fans, I know it's not going to be you, but have referred to him as a gun in the past. You know, he's never averaged 60-plus points. He's had he's had a few 59 seasons, but he hasn't averaged, you know, 60-plus yep. points. So I, I really think that people get carried away with Morgan and how good he is, both in real life but also for super coach. He's a solid player. Um, I probably like him better at number one than seven or six myself. But his score, mate, he in twenty eighteen he was um, a bit of an option because he was only I think four hundred k to start the year, um, and he looked like he was going to be huge value. And he only ended up averaging forty four points a game um, and being injured as well. Um, and in, even in two thousand and nineteen, he was recently cheap as a half. He's actually going to be the most expensive he's been for three years, and. There is just so many options around that 470 to 500k mark in your halves that I would rather get. Um, drink water's the same. There is guys like Ash Taylor are less. Guys like um, Williams at Canberra are less money um, in the 300s range. You know, there's for both these guys. There's just so many other options. I, I really can't see anyone needing to look at them at all for round one. No, nah, spot on. Then they're, they're not round one options um, in my eyes. And um, 
yeah, simply for that reason, there are better options out there. Um, I know I've been quite negative with Cowboys <laughs> players on this podcast, but I think it's just reality as well. You can't be so biased. Like it's a, it's a super coach world. You can't, uh, just cause you support the team, you can't talk them up. You just got to be more realistic. But I mean, the positives are too few with Morgan. I mean, I know the no DPP status might be minor, but, um, you know, he's got the potential to score well, but his consistency as well, it's a great concern. Um, I'm like you, I preferred him in the number one jersey and I don't really like him running the team. Um, I do think he's a good player, mate. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, um, I prefer him as a number one and yeah, definitely not running the team. I think that's where he shines, but, um, I, I understand that halves and five eights are definitions of roller coasters when it comes to SC output. Um, but when you look at the other halves available and what they can bring to the table, whether it be goal kicking, um, attractive draws, um, even a high level of reliance, for example, when SJ was at the Warriors, um, Morgan has none of these. So if we want to look for a reason to monitor Michael Morgan, um, a decent chunk of last year's poor scores were from his return after his injury um that's all you know that's the only really thing we can look at he had four weeks off um came back and produced scores of 14 36 22 and 41 so uh, we take those scores out of the equation and yes he he still had some handful um a small handful of poor scores but he had a decent season which doesn't mean we should consider starting the season with him this year um it simply means we need to keep keep him on our watch list um we all know what a quality player he is but we need to wait for the right time and the right time certainly isn't round one no, i wouldn't i wouldn't go near him all year um so Let's move on to Manly. That's also fair. Well, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so Manly is um, is an interesting one on the player market because they've done really not much at all. Danny Levi's their only real relevant signing from the Knights, um, and that's on the back of Farnu probably not you know, being cleared to play for the in the NRL in the opening rounds. As far as the losses go, Coruscant's gone over the Panthers. I feel like they've lost in that swap. I think Coruscant's better than what Levi is. Lloyd Perrett got released, yeah. um, Trent Hodgkinson and Kane Elgie have both retired. Elgie's retired pretty young there. Um, but the, the movement on the Eagles isn't too much. I kind of see them as having a similar type of season as last year. I think that they're going to be, um, quite competitive. I think Des has done a good job with what he's got. He's gotten a lot of guys to play better than what they are, but I think a lot of teams are going to be ready for him this year as well. Yeah, and there's that predictability factor, isn't there? Very similar, uh, similar 17 to last year. They'll, they'll be gelling quite well, I guess. <laughs> there's the positive for us. But um, honestly, I reckon they'll finish maybe just ahead of the Cowboys, like around that sixth spot maybe. Um, I mean, I think they're a better side than the Cowboys. Um, they're a solid side, and any team that boasts the Trevojevic brothers and, and that absolute beast of a forward pack can, can really make an impact on the NRL season. Um, so, yeah. I've got them finishing around that sixth place anyway, mate. Yeah, they're, they're probably going to be top eight for me if I predict it, but um, I don't know if they'll be as high as six, but that six to ten range is a bit of a lottery anyway. Um, yeah. So let's talk about their, their guns first. Now, the biggest gun that they have is obviously Turbo. Now, Turbo 715k, because he just had a career year. He scored 77 points a game. Um, that was absolutely massive, but if you take out his injury-effective game, uh, he actually, we had two injury effective games. He actually had an 86 average across his 10 non-injury effective games. Crazy. It was amazing. And out of those, um, you know, out of those, uh, 10 games that he wasn't hurt, he had four tons. So 40% of his non-injured games were tons. And two of them, 20% of his games were 150 plus. It really was amazing, um, the performance he put up. 
And, you know, you can say, and rightfully so, it's not a big sample size. But yeah, he true. still played half a season. So, you know, there's enough there to say that he was on fire. The year before he averaged 74, the year before he averaged 76. I I couldn't fault anyone for starting with Turbo round one, um, but I'm not myself. I'm going for the Pong Pack duo, but Turbo is definitely an option. Yeah, 100%. He's always an option, really. I mean, considering what he's capable of. Uh, I'm with you. I'm on the ponga Papenhusen combo at fullback. Um, I'm also a very paranoid guy when it comes to injury-prone players. Oh, it hurts me, mate, honestly, because, um, you know, you got someone who's just the scores that this guy is capable of producing. I'll be sitting there simply not choosing him because of his um, injuries off and on, um, his price as well, uh, as you said, after a, a massive season. Um, but... Look, you know, I, I may miss a few scores in the, um, between the 100 and 150 range, but uh, I just, honestly, I'm a paranoid guy. And if I'm sitting there at the start of the season and I see my 700k player fall to, fall to injury, I know how costly it is for that round, despite how easy it is to offload him, um, next week if the injury is serious. But, um, look, Ponga Pup and Hughes and all the way, but can't blame anyone for starting with Tommy Turbo. Yeah. He had, he had like three different, you know, three different periods of time that he was missing multiple games because of injuries and stuff. So if, if you owned him last year, um, the, the good points were really good, but it was mm-hmm. a real concern. And hamstrings are a problem. He, he had a reoccurrence of it a few times, including in the off-season. Um, now, he's meant to be 100%. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, those other games where he was sitting out, though, really hurt you. So whether you want to take that again, yeah, it's a bit of a risk, but I guess you've got two gun halves. One of the things that I think is positive with Turbo is he is probably going to be at least a little bit of a pod. Um, I don't think that he's going to be in, you know, 25% of teams or anything like that. So it isn't very many years where you can get a guy of Turbo's calibre and maybe even like a 15% ownership or something like that. Like, it's it's pretty unheard of. So there is a lot of value in that regard. Um, and I don't think that he's going to fall too far below what his average score is. Um, I think the injury risk is there with his hammy, though. And I just, I feel safer with Teddy. And I'm going to say a bit of a story here, and I'm probably going to anger some. Um, I'm probably going to anger some <laughs> Seagulls fans, but there, there was times I was watching Turbo last year, and he didn't seem that involved. He did not seem very interested, and I was I actually owned him at the time, and I was pretty annoyed. Um, he wasn't backing up through the middle. He wasn't um, getting his hands on the ball a lot. He wasn't getting around the play. Like there was times where the play swung the other way, and he was still on the left hand side of the field, and the ball was on the right type of thing. It, he just didn't seem to be getting as involved, and that really, really concerned me, whereas someone like Teddy is always there. He's always involved, and I just feel a lot more comfortable with him. Um, so, yeah, it, it is a bit of a preference thing. I, I think that somebody might strike gold um, with Turbo, but looking at Manly's draw, they start off with the Storm. Um, they don't go too badly against the Storm a lot of the time, but then they have the Roosters. So mm. something with Manly's draw is the first two rounds of the, the two teams that you don't want them to play. Um, and then the third round, they play the Warriors at Lotto Land, which is going to be a, probably a, a good carve up for Supercoach for them. Um, and then they hit the Raiders. Now, that first four weeks, and the Raiders is at GIA Stadium, by the way, they played probably the top three Supercoach sides out of those four weeks that you don't want your teams playing as well. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. I mean, how nervous are you going to be, really, with um, Tommy Turbo as your fullback? Honestly, I, 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 I just, I'm trying to get my head around, um, you know, 
why some people would actually start with Turbo this season, um, as in with like the positives weighing up with the negatives as well. Um, I know how you said that Manly normally do well against Melbourne, but it generally is a quite a, a low-scoring game, isn't it? For Supercoach, um, yeah. As well yeah. as for Supercoach, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, when you got that, um, I mean, you, I don't know, with their draw coming up after those first four rounds, um, you also got, you know, the Knights, you got the Titans as well, um, as, and you got also got uh, the Bulldogs and the Tigers prior to that first bye week as well. So, I don't know, it's kind of 50-50, isn't it, that opening 12 weeks, um, whether it's worth having some of the Manly backs. Uh, I'm not so sure. The forwards won't be too much of an issue, but it's the Manly backs I'd be worried about. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I, I think Turbo's a, a good option, um, but I've got him ranked behind Pappenhausen, behind Teddy, and behind Ponga. So I've actually got him ranked four. That's fair, yeah. Um, and that's just that's his personal preference. Um, Marty Tapao is the next guy we're going to talk about. So let's have a chat about him. Now, the thing with Tapao is he's a front row forward option, and there isn't very many of them. Um, I mentioned to someone online that I'm actually looking at um, basically a three-gun front row forward strategy with one cheapie because I don't think there's going to be any more than one cheapie that's going to be good enough to get. And there is yep. just isn't any mid-range stuff there. So Marty Tapao is a guy that I'm considering. One of the things with Tapao, and this is about a couple other guys as well, um, on actual timelines, um, you know, Gerbo is actually not due back until round three. Um, and we've also got Fenua Blake due around the same time. Both of them will probably try and come back a little bit earlier, but it might even be a week later. And if you get the first three rounds where, you know, there's neither of those guys, the power's going to be heavily relied on and probably get a lot of minutes. He ended up averaging the least amount that he has for three years, though. He, he averaged 61 in 2019. Um, the two years before, he averaged 65 and 65. Recurring theme with this, and I'm interested on your take on it, Andrew, because maybe I'm, I'm off a little bit, but I'm worried about Des Hasler. And, you know, sometimes when people get worried about coaches, <laughs> it, it's not really founded, but... The thing is that um, we've got Jake Trebojevic's game has changed completely to the point he had his worst super coach season um, in five years or something. Um, Tapao went down four points a game as well, um, and his minutes were low for Tapao. You know, he was playing 50 minutes a game. It's only one yeah. to three minutes off what he was doing a couple of years before, but it's still that little bit lower, and he went through spells where it was, uh, you know, even lower than that, obviously, for, for periods. And, he, you know, the whole... Attack, um, there was games where he wasn't offloading as much as what he probably could have. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested in Tapao because I think that he might have some early season opportunity and there's not much there in the front row forward spot. 570k is pretty fair. Um, but in saying that, I'm curious as to whether, you know, the Des Hasler risk is that you don't get the offloads and, and non, non-work rate sort of points for Supercoach that we maybe would have seen from Manly players the year before last. Yeah, and that's a fair concern as well. But I mean, look, I, I agree with everything you just said there. He's a he's a very black and white player to power. Like he's um, you know, we all like his consistency. Um, he's also a player that um, most coaches will have in their sides once round twelve comes around. Anyway, um, he's, he's not a player that will give us value by any means. Um, he's not someone that produces regular attacking stats. He's he's someone that will play between forty five and fifty five minutes produces a solid amount of base and a times base attack, um, and he'll produce scores of 55 or more on a regular basis. I mean, for 571k, that's that's quite solid. Um, honestly, mate, I think that uh, we have one decision to make with Tapao. 
Um, if we're sold on having him through the buy period for his round 12 coverage, are we going to run with him from get-go or are we going to hold off to see what kind of output um, he decides to give us this season? But with that absence of Gerbo and Fenel Blake at the start of the season, I mean, I'm quite keen to have him from the get-go, same as yourself, mate. Yeah, he's definitely an option for me. I'm, I'm tossing up between him and Andrew Fafida and also Takiyaho. And Takiyaho, if he's got the kid, the kicking, I don't think that he can be left out of anyone's side. Fafida, I think, has got a little bit more upside than uh, Marty Tapao as well. So, yeah, he, he, I, I, I think he's do. definitely there. Um, but there is there is some cause for concern. But he is a good option to consider at 570k. DCE, let's have a chat about the other gun. And Manly is a team with basically <laughs> a foundation of four guns. You know, DCE very quietly at times has flown under the radar while he's been scoring really well. He averaged 62 points last season and remarkably has gone 62 points for three years in a row as an average. That's very good consistency. It's not like a, you know, 70-point Jonathan Thurston season, but it's a great consistency at 62 a game. He's gone on some big tears as well. He had a 156-point game last year in one of them. Um, He spot kicks as well, so... Um, there's a chance that he has um, goal-kicking at times. If Garrick is injured or something like that, he's the second choice. He had a, another game for 112 too. So he had two pretty big tons and a few 90s in there as well. Uh, his low games, he didn't really have a lot of them. Um, and that's one of the good things with DC. He, he's going to get some in the 30s and 20s, but he only had four last year out of his 19 games played, and that's not bad for a halfback. So a lot of the time you're going to get yeah. the 40s and 50s from him in the poorer games. Uh, a lot of good... Um, um, kicking um, options as far as producing super coach points as well in general play and obviously the attacking stats which he gets. He's going to come in at 576k which is pretty reasonable. Um, it does put him in the sort of elite halves category. In another season, Andrew, I would have actually been a bit interested in DC to start the year if they had a good draw but I think the first couple of games uh, were really three out of the first four games really scare me off him as an option. Yeah, and I'm in the same boat as well, mate. Like he's he's more than likely going to be cheaper um, after the first you know handful of rounds. Um, I have to admit, I'm guilty of never ever being a DCE owner, and at times it has really annoyed the hell out of me. Um, I still remember those opening rounds of last season between rounds two and six, where he went you know in the 80s, 156, 75, 91, and I sat there thinking, why do I? continually ignore this bloke but then a lot of coaches started bringing him in and the following week he got injured 48 minutes into the game and was out for five weeks so that was that was um that's the super coach really isn't it but look dce like any half and five eighth produces random scores in the 20s and 30s and um as you said he he produced four scores in the 20s last year um and a couple more in the 30s but at the end of the season he was able to maintain that 60 average um he's a solid player um and even though he has those tough opponents in the storm roosters and Raiders in the opening four rounds. History will tell us that he doesn't usually struggle that much against the tougher teams. Um, in saying that, it would certainly contribute to convincing us against choosing DCE, a uh, 576k non-DPP player with a fairly difficult starting draw, um, potentially eliminating the possibility of a monster output. Um, there's a few negatives there that I'm concerned about, but I'd be much happier taking the punt on the halves with more of an upside than DCE, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, one of the things with him as well is that he's, he's going to play Origin, so he's not going to be there for the buy. Um, well, and, exactly, and yeah. really that buy period is a, a killer for him. He's, he's rarely very good in that buy period. You're going to basically be buying him for the first sort of 10 rounds, 
And if you think that four or five of those ten rounds are, are really tough, then that probably answers your question as far as him being a consideration for you. Um, so I, I'm, I don't think that he's an option, not because I don't think he's good, but for me, from round one, I think that I prefer other ones. And I mean, for you, like some similar price point guys, Sean Johnson and um, Nathan Cleary and Mitchell Moses, they're all halfbacks around that price point. I'd probably consider all three of those um, over DCE at the moment. Are you are you pretty much concurring with that? Mate, I'm, I'm all over Moses from round one. Let's do it. Good draw. I reckon he'll nail it. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> so I reckon DC is probably a, a fourth string um, on that. And it's not because he's not a good player, but it's just around mine. I don't think it's going to be that great for him compared to other options. Spot on. Gerbo, I've got under a risk category. Um, I don't have him under the gun category. So another controversial one, but we like to be a little bit controversial. Mix it yeah, up. Yeah, got to mix it up on the podcast. Gerbo had a 63-point average. That's a good, good year. He's still a gun. But um, how he did that was really quite concerning. His years prior, he was 71, 73, and 66. And really, you would have gone into last season thinking that you're not going to get a non-70 average from, from Gerbo. And he dropped pretty significantly. You know, eight points for a forward is quite a big drop-off. Um, and his PPM was pretty low for him at 0.8, which is a career low as well. He's due back round three, um, and that's something that people need to remember anyway. If he does beat the clock, and he is going to be round one, just for the fact that he's racing the clock to be fit for round one. I wouldn't be want to want to touch him, but I guess the argument for him is that because it was his worst season, 584k is very cheap for uh, for Gerbo, and it is. Um, Jacob Wojewicz hasn't been that cheap ever since he's been a gun, but pretty concerning stats. Five from his last 12 games, he went 60 plus. So seven out of those 12, he couldn't even get the 60 points. Three of the 12, uh, so 25% of his games, were below 50. That is unheard of for him. Um, watching the games without looking at the numbers, he was being used in very much a halfback type role where he was getting the ball um, and making a lot of plays, passing before the line. Heaps. He had, um, I think the stats were that he had more possessions than what he normally does, um, but less runs um, and less uses with the ball. Most of them were just ordinary passes. Only had two tries all year as a result as well and hardly any clutch attacks. So his game seemed to completely change under Des Hasler. There's, so there's, I guess, Cowboys, there's two thoughts here. There's a, there's a camp that says he's undervalued. 584k is a bargain for a, a Travojevic. He's going to bounce back. His, his brother's <laughs> going to be playing with him, which I find a bit of a fallacy because his brother still played 50% of the games last year. Uh, exactly. The other camp is, you know, Des Hasler has killed a super coach weapon. So, <laughs> whereabouts are you? Uh, mate, I, I'm pretty sure we've got the same notes on Gerbo, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe he dropped 170k odd, like, last year. That was, that was insane, wasn't it? I mean, it was a cer- certainly a tale of two halves when looking at his season overview, too. His second half of the season. I mean, look, wasn't, wasn't bad, uh, but, you know, his first half was clearly superior. Um, at this stage, we can't pick him up in our starting team, obviously. But hypothetically, if he was there in round one, you already know my answer because he's coming, coming off an injury, off recovery. So he, that rules uh, him out for me. I 100% agree with everything you just said. I'm, I'm of the same opinion. And, um, you know, look, if, if people do decide to take that punt, as in, okay, he's priced quite well for a Trebojevic, uh family member, then... Um, 
you know, I, I can kind of get it. I'd steer clear though. I mean, there are better options in the second row forward position. But look, I won't, I won't criticize someone for taking the punt. That's for sure. Yeah, I won't, I won't criticize someone. But in saying that, um, I think that the other thing that works against him is that there's so many options in second row forward that are huge value, and there's guys that have exactly. more chance of, of upside. Um, you know, I've spoken about Angus Crichton if he's starting at 530k, um, David Fafita at 500k. There's these guys that are actually a fair bit less than Trevojevic, um, that are there. Um, you can go up an extra 40k and you've got a Cam Murray. Like, there's that many better options, and I'm probably a bit tainted too because I purchased Trevojevic at his rock bottom tr- price in like round 17 last year. And I just, I, I honestly did a real rookie mistake where I didn't look past the name. And I just looked at the pedigree mm. and I looked at the name and went, you know what, I can't, it's, I've only got two trades left, but I can't not get Trevojevic in for a nobody that's just made some cash. Like, it's just too easy. And I did it. And you know what? It ended up being one of my worst trades of the year because he, he really did not perform for that last third of the season that I had him. So I am a little bit jaded and I was watching those games screaming at Des Hasler and screaming at, at, uh, <laughs> at Jake saying, uh, take the kid up, stop passing the ball. That was, that was pretty common yeah. in my household. So. I um <laughs> I, I I really could not go near him for round one, and I will be super controversial. I may not own him all season. I I really I probably can't see myself owning him all year. Mate, can't blame you. I mean, from what we've seen, um, his latest latest form, yeah, that's definitely on the cards. If he's not in my team all season, then I won't be surprised whatsoever. I mean, the fact is, he needs to step up. I was with you. I was yelling at the TV screen at the back end of last season. So he's not he's not for you and me, obviously. But um, good luck to those guys who, who pick him. I guess. Yeah, so, I mean, look, and uh, to finish off on, uh, on Jake, he, he's a great player. It's just not translating super coach. It's nothing against him. And. Oh, 100%. He, yeah. He can always yeah. get back to it. Like, I wouldn't be surprised either if he gets back to what he was doing and then that's great. I'll buy him. But until I see it, there's no way I'm going near him. Um, the next guy we're going to talk about yeah. is a big balls pod for Manly. Huge balls pod, but you know, he was one of those. I'm not even going to say his name. I'm going to tell a little bit of a story, and we'll see if the listeners can actually pick him out, because I reckon one by one the listeners will <laughs> have the penny drop and just sigh all collectively together. This is one of those rookies that you start with, and you're waiting for him to make money, and he starts making money, and you go to sell him, and then he's going too well, and you wait a little bit, and then you just go, you know what, I've got to sell him. He's like worth 520K. I've got to get rid of him. He's made heaps of money. Look at all this. I've got like 300 grand. I'm going to go and buy a gun. And then the next week he scores, you know, 100 points and you just go, man, why did I sell him? And then, you know, that it just is one of those guys that was just super frustrating. And he ended up being a guy that you could have just kept in your center wing all year. And he probably would have been better than half of the options that you purchased in your center wing all year as well. And that was Ruben Garrick. Um, now Ruben Garrick, Comes in at 488k, so he's not rookie priced anymore, so it's obviously pretty expensive, but we spoke about that dearth of talent in that 400 to 500k range, and there really is hardly anything. Ruben Garrick took over the goal kicking, um, and his, his scoring points skyrocketed. His, his average for last year was 52. 20 of that was scoring. Um, he was quite a good goal kicker, and he scored quite a few tries as well. So, he does look like a bit of a strike weapon for them. Um, he does have the goal kicking to help his floor. His base isn't good. His base is only 21. That's why he's a big balls pod. If he had a better draw, um, he would be someone that could come out and smash out a 70 or 80 average in the center wing because, you know, he had a game of 111 points last year, another game of 114 points, um, and a number of games, um, I think three 
games of 80 plus um, and a heap of games in the 60s. So his floor was actually pretty good. Despite him being a winger, he had one terrible game of 10 um, and then maybe four, five games in the 20s, but the rest of them were pretty solid and he played a full season of 24 games. So first off, congratulations to Ruben Garrick and a bigger congratulations to those guys who actually kept him and saw saw the ability that he had because those guys were paid off handsomely. I think he ended up making like an extra hundred grand after that first big sell period whenever I jumped off mm. or something and, and I was one of those guys. Uh, he, did you did you sell him the like pretty much his first peak and do you see him as even as a big pod option for um for the season for this year? Yeah, look, mate, Big Balls Pod is a very appropriate name. Like, you would have to have massive balls <laughs> to pick this guy at the start of the season. If I decided to run with this guy, I would have anxiety and multiple heart attacks throughout the entire season, I swear. <laughs> um, I mean, look, he, he played a full season on the wing last season. Yes, he produced some insane numbers. He was producing scores in the teens and early 20s from 80-minute performances. But, I mean, I add this factor to Manly's tough opening draw, um, and he has three words written all over him, which is wait and see, in my opinion. I mean, he is capable of some brilliant scores. Um, he plays some magnificent 40, doesn't he? Um, but I've honestly never seen someone roller coaster so much in the super coach world. He's really exciting to watch and really exciting to own when he is on fire, but it's a case of picking him up at the right time. Um, personally, I'm not forking out 487k for a winger who's about to face three of the top four sides, uh, three of the top sides in these first four matches this season. Um, he may score a, I think he was at 60 against the Roosters early last season, but he also scored two disappointing games against the Storm at the back end of last season. So he may be more suited to our sides at a later time, later in the season, but it's certainly not for the start. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I mean, I think that one of the things that's unfortunate for Manly is that their draw for the first month isn't great. Um, and it's probably going to mean that there's going to be some price drops on these guys. Manly do play that, um, that round to a buy though. I, I do see Garrick as someone really mm. relevant for that buy. He might be 400k, um, you know, closer to that buy. And that's, that's a decent purchase. Like to get a, a guy that can hit the attack and get a few tries and also be a goal kicker for Manly, I think is really good. Um, so I, I'm actually quite interested because I think he's one of those guys again that you can, Look, if he got injured or had some really poor runs to start the year, you might even get him at 350 to 380 range. And then if you do that, you can just have him for the buy and keep him there as a goal-kicking fifth, sixth, you know, rotation option for your centre wing for the rest of the year. So I think he's very relevant. Um, I think that he would be a, an out-there consideration, but definitely a consideration if Manly had a better draw to start. It's just that they don't. That's all. So he's definitely a watch, though, and he deserves some props and a mention. 100%, and you'd be crazy not to have him on your watch list after the first five weeks, that's for sure. Um, cash cow rookie, they, they don't really predict to have, predict to have any rookies, but um, one guy that's definitely not a rookie <laughs> is old T-Rex. He's, um, he's pretty prehistoric T-Rex. That's pun fully intended there. Um, <laughs> he's, um, he's making a comeback. He's only 200k, um, so he's going to be one of the cheaper forwards. There's, there's always a good chance that there's not going to be any cheap forwards um, you know, named in any position really, um, but sometimes you might get some on the bench, and T Rex is going to be one of them. I am interested because Des Hasler has re- resurrected the dinosaur before. He has he's done this to plenty of Fords, um, and he really got some good um, years out of T Rex as well previously. It's 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 a hard one because um, you know a lot of people will look at it, Andrew, and say 
T-Rex is shit. Like, he fell off a cliff. He hasn't even been playing, blah, blah, blah. All of it's true, but mm. everything with Supercoach is value. And he's basically a, close to rock bottom price at 200k. So you, you can't really go wrong if he's going to get decent minutes. And for him, you know, getting 40 minutes a game is going to be pretty decent for him. At 200k, yeah, he might be a bit of an AE problem, maybe, but, you yeah, know, it's... It's hard, it's hard to go wrong, but I like it better than sort of the front row forward options that are the real plotters that have a chance of playing real low minutes. If, you know, T-Rex is playing decent second, like back row type of middle minutes. Um, yeah, mm. I, I can see it. I can see something there. And I'm, I'm trying to be positive about T-Rex because <laughs> I, I used to love him when he was in his prime. He was a beast. Oh, same. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, look, as, um, as you said, there's a chance that he is resurrected this year. And I mean, what is the worst case scenario? It is the AE nightmare problem. That's, that's pretty much it. A 200k second row forward. We're going to throw him into our MPRs and just see what happens. Like whether he slow burns, he might get us a few, um, what between 20 and 40 points come round 12, maybe, you know, apart from being that AE nightmare, there's not really a downside and he's, and he's very, very cheap. You're not really wasting any coin. Um, getting T-Rex into your team. I'll just throw this out there. Like, he's, he's aimed on the bench for round one. 200k, Manly are playing the first buy round. Are you willing to sacrifice an MPR slot, um, in the second row forward position to take the punt that he'll slow burn his way to, into round 12 and give us an extra few points for that, that buy week? That's pretty much the T-Rex scenario, isn't it? So, yeah. uh, there's not really much else to it. Um, yeah, exactly. And, uh, like, it would be remiss of me to, to mention that, I, you know, I said earlier, you know, the super coach poison of the, the front row forwards that sort of roll along really slowly when you're on the bench. The, the second mm. rowers are a little bit different sometimes, um, but they can be super coach poison as well. So certainly, you know, I'm not trying to backtrack or anything. Um, he can be, re- he could be really bad and it's going to cost you a trade. And that's seriously probably the worst yeah, thing where okay. it's, it's going to be a cost of a trade and you're not going to make any money and that's not great. Um, so you do have to look at that, but T-Rex has always had a game, even when he got older, where he could tackle, break, and offload, um, which is really good for super coach purposes, and you don't get a lot of that from uh, some of the other bench forwards, so if he can still do that, exactly. great. Um, the other thing that you can do is just pop him in your back pocket and go, I'm, I'm guaranteed with my luck that I'm going to get an injury in the first two weeks, and whatever forward gets injured, if T-Rex gets minutes, then I'll, I'll just pop him in as a downgrade option and spend the money somewhere else for an upgrade, so... That's the other option too. Um, let's move on because T-Rex isn't that exciting. Um, <laughs> probably the only other guy to talk about in the sort of mid to cow category is uh, Corey Waddell. Um, I'm only going to mention him because he had some really good games when he got um, when he got the minutes and he looked like a real goer and I know that he's pretty highly rated at Manly and they don't necessarily project to have the best bench and they also project to have at least Fenua Blake and, and Gerbo out for the first two rounds probably. Um, so he's going to get some extra minutes. There is a bit of a trappish element though. He, he played 41 minutes a game last year and he averaged 40 points a game. He's a goer um, and I could see him getting, you know, 60 minutes a game to, to start the year, but that's going to drop off pretty quick as soon as um, they get their full forward pack back. So it's one of those things where he looks cheap and he's going to be named to start um, potentially, or if not play good minutes, but Mate, it's got trap all over it for me because as soon as that forward pack's you know, relevant again, he's just going to drop his cash and his minutes as well. That's it, yeah, 100% a trap. Um, look, there might be, might be some coaches out there that will see that, um, like what, he's likely to play 
lock, is it? Um, Jobo's replacement um, in the opening rounds. But there might be a few coaches out there that will see that he's playing in the starting side or getting increased minutes and jump on him. But um, at the end of the day, once their full team's back in Jobo and Fanua Blake, then that's probably the end of it for Waddell. So, um, yeah, trap written all over him. And, yeah, definitely not appealing for myself, mate. And what about Levi? So, obviously, Fainu has, has um, gone <sighs> and potentially... <laughs> Potentially going to be gone for the season because it's very serious charges. Um, and we've got Chorus out of the picture. So they don't really have anyone else. It's, it's a Danny Levi show. And, I mean, he played 58 minutes a game last year for a 41-point average. So for for super coach middle forward hooker purposes, it is absolute dirt. Like his PPM is 0.71 mm. last year and 0.69 the year before, 0.69, 0.55. Like he's, he's not a good super coach option, but... If he's getting 80 minutes, he's going to be undervalued. So do you think that they're going to try and run him for the 80 minutes? And in which case, even if he's scoring, you know, 55 points a game, he's, he's probably going to have to just, he'll, he'll fall over 55 points a game playing 80 minutes at hooker. Like, it, yeah. So, I mean, do you see, he, that's when the, the two, the two cheap hooker comes into consideration. Do you see the two cheap hooker strategy as being viable? Um, I actually do think it's viable if Levi plays big minutes. Um, look, personally, I'm I'm running with the Braley um, with either Cook or Smith combo. Um, I, I just think it's it's too it's too hard to pass up on Braley, obviously. And yeah, I, I just like that comfort of having Cook or Smith, preferably Cook in my side. Um, might save a little bit of coin on Smith, but. It's look, yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's a viable option, especially this Levi at at three seventy nine k. Um, haven't given much thought to Levi to be honest, but it's just because I've been quite settled with my um, hooker combo. But look, you know, if he's playing eighty minutes, then gosh, he's a steal at three hundred and seventy nine k. Yeah, he'll make a hundred grand. Um, the issue will be if if uh, Kate cast his name on the bench, um, then I don't think he can get yeah. near him because um, yeah, it's clear what's going to happen. But if they have a four forward pen, four forward bench. Uh, then he would normally be an option. I just don't see it with the other options available. Braley's a lock, and I think you've got to have probably Cook or, or Smith or one of the other top guys in there as well. So um, it for Levi. Um, interesting watch, though, to see what Dez does in real life because he's pretty short there. Vanilla Blake's the last guy that I'm just going to mention. Look, he's 613K. He's probably going to be playing busted for round one. He, you can't go near him, I don't think. He had a career year. I saw a few people talk about him, but even if he's starting round one for 613K, he was phenomenal and one of the premium front row forwards, but you have to imagine that the big fella is going to be playing less minutes even when he returns. So if he misses the first, say, two rounds, he's probably got two or three rounds getting his fitness back and playing lower minutes, and it just becomes an option when uh, you look at him round six-ish and think, wow, he's going to get really juicy for that buy. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, for me, there's zero upside with um, choosing Fanor Blake at the start of the season. Like, 613k, coming off a decent season, coming back from injury. I mean, he's just too risky in my eyes. So, um, yeah, you're better off going with one of the other big front row forwards, 100%. So, mate, I think we've run through two teams and not wanted to buy any of the players that we spoke about. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, at least, uh, you know, we're realistic. And, yeah, I mean, it's got to be done, though. It's super coach. So, um Better off just being real about everyone than um, just trying to find positives with every player and trying to convince people to, you know, give these people thoughts. So, yeah, yeah. The, this will be the glass half empty podcast. This one, this this episode. Yeah, I think a rename should be on the cards. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> well, um, to Cowboys and Manly fans, um, 
I think they've got a lot of good options, but they're going to be later on in the season, that's all. Round one, I don't think it's just going to be fantastic for them. Uh, but they, there is the guys like the Lolos um, and the Turbos and the Powers that I think are going to be pretty relevant still uh, immediately and, um, and decent considerations. So it's not all bad. Um, I think that they're going to have both these teams, though. Um, when we get to sort of yeah that round six to 11 period, then we're going to be heaping praise on these guys. Don't worry about it because that's going to be leaning up to the bye <laughs> and these guys dropping off after their tough early draw and that, and that's when it's going to get exciting for you fans out there at the Cowboys and the Seagulls. Um, Cowboy, thanks for jumping on, mate. It was great. Um, podcast debut. Fantastic to have you. Oh, no, mate. Thanks very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Points per minute podcast that Andrew Scanlon runs is a great one. Um, give it a listen. Even last season's ones, I know some of you... Fanatics and addicts and everyone else out there that can't get enough supercoach listens to old podcasts. Andrew's great. Give it a go. But um, otherwise, mate, we'll, we'll chat to you again sometime. Yeah, thanks so much, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, you can download the podcast or listen and subscribe on iTunes as well as SoundCloud. Do follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore Allstars. Uh, thanks for listening. hope the preseason prep's going great. We're going to have one more Teams podcast next week. And uh, that'll finalise all the teams, and then we'll probably have a couple other ones leading into the season as well. Have fun watching the nines this week. It's great to watch them and see how some of the players are looking, and you can see some of the up-and-coming players as well. We'll chat to you next week.